It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question. You can email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Well, this is Exploring the Word, and we do just that. We take the Word of God, the Bible, and we explore the Word. And very often, part of that leads us to answer questions that you, the listeners, graciously send in. And that's what we're going to do today. Alex McFarland here, along with Bert Harper. We're very honored that you're listening. This is the American Family Radio Network. And by the way, uh, as we go through some questions, maybe you it reminds you of Bible questions you've got. And uh, you can email us, and it will reach us, word at AFR.net, W-O-R-D, word at AFR.net. And your Bible question might become the content for a future show. We'd love to hear from you. But we've got a, a, a stack of listener emails and questions that we'll uh, go through today. And it's always a privilege to be able to do that, isn't it? It is. We love the questions on the radio, but we love the questions by word or comments or to Alex, whichever way it goes. And uh, we love to do that and share those because if one person asks that question, it's usually wanting to know by others. Now, if it's very, 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 very personal, no, we don't do that. But these questions are their questions that you've asked of us, and we do our best to answer those questions. Alex, this is one that we've answered uh, quite a bit, but it's got a little bit different twist to it. Trey, uh, he asks us, he says, a young boy asked him about brothers and sisters marrying and having babies. He said, isn't that wrong? Yes, that's uh, that's wrong, uh, the guy said. And he said, since Adam and Eve's children uh, had babies and they were the ones that married, how come it was not right now and it was all right then? Well, well, th- that is a good question because, uh, you know, there are laws against incest. In fact, really throughout the world, culturally, there are taboos and cultural, uh, we call them social mores or, or boundaries. And, and that's true that, uh, you know, within families, you, you marry someone who is not a close relative. Uh, in the big scheme of things, because we all came from Adam and Eve, and even secular science acknowledges that the human race, as we now know it, came from a single male-female pair. And, of course, as a Christian, we know that the human race created by God, man made in God's image, our parents are Adam and Eve. So in a very broad sense, and I want to be very careful how I say this, but in a, in a broad sense, we're, we're all siblings because we're all the children of Adam and Eve. Now, Bert, that's why racism is wrong, because look, the um, secondary characteristics like stature and hair texture and skin color, you know, the amount of melanin in our skin you know, some people are very light-complected. Other people are very dark-complected. But, you know, the thing about it, we're all brothers and sisters. And, I mean, yeah. <laughs> every, every, every other human on the planet is our sibling because we're the children of Adam and Eve. Am I right? You are right. I had a friend, and uh, he, he was a fellow pastor. Uh, he was retired from the military. Just He had had a rough life, and then God delivered him. 
and set his feet uh, on a rock and put a new song in his heart. He was evident of that. And no matter who he would see, he'd say, hey, brother, or hey, sister. I, I saw him and heard him do it so many times. And some said, well, I'm not your my brother. You're my, he said, you're either my brother and sister in Adam or you're my brother and sister in Christ. And he would go in to said, we can be, we can be double brothers and double sisters if you know Christ. And uh, he would share Christ with them, and so many people would get saved, and he would share his testimony. But to, on a young child's level, uh, Alex still, I think, answered it well uh, and, and saying that we're all children of Adam and Eve. But because of, of the world we live in and DNA and going forth, uh, to marry a brother and sister at this point in time would would not be right. It would be wrong because God, after he gave the law, gave some separation for that, and that separation was helpful. Any restriction God ever gives, and young people need to know that, any restriction or limitation that God gives in marriage or in any ownership or any area is always for our benefit ultimately. It may not seem mm-hmm. like it at the time, but ultimately it is our, for our benefit, Alex. Uh, well, exactly. And let, let me say this. We're answering the question about why, uh, why did it seem like people intermarried in biblical times, but uh, not today. It's very prohibited. Um, I, I think there are social reasons and genetic reasons. For instance, Bert, I saw a thing on... Um, I guess it was the History Channel, but there, there's a, a group in Kentucky that is is not well known, but has been studied, and their complexion is not uh, brown or white. Their complexion is blue. The, did you ever see the the any news coverage about? The I blue have. People? That's news to me now. Uh, go ahead. I'm, and, I'm interested. Well, and and because it was kind of a. Um, a little bit of a shame or something. They really, it's a small population group, I believe, in the uh, mountains of Kentucky, and they've kind of hidden away. But here, here's the thing. Genetically, there are what are called dominant genes and recessive genes. And, you know, sometimes recessive genes are, are harmless. You know, uh, once in a generation, a family has a child that's redheaded. But that recessive trait was, you know, deep in the genetic uh, possibility, and then a, a child is born with, you know, blue eyes or red hair or something like that. And here in the case of the Appalachian Mountains, there were some um, people that when they, uh, when they intermarry, the recessive gene has more opportunity to come out. And so uh, things like birth defects, that's, that's why with... Um, small population groups and even intermarrying or within a family, um, there's a greater, greater likelihood for birth defects. Uh, Like I say, some recessive genes are just harmless, might be some, you know, visual characteristic. But then other recessive genes can come out that have severe health implications. So, Bert, I think the prohibition against incest, and this really, you see this in Leviticus 18. Uh, Leviticus, Leviticus 18, 6 through 18, uh, don't marry a close relative, 
And a man in the Jewish times, when God gave this law, he couldn't marry his mother, he couldn't marry his stepmother, his sister, granddaughter, stepsister. The Levitical laws against incest, I think partly it was for health reasons and to protect us as much as is possible from these genetic, um, you know, birth defects. But you got to understand, back at the time of Adam and Eve, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically say why God did permit um, siblings to marry and procreate. But here's the thing. For one, um, the human race had to get started. But the other thing is, um, even secularists believe that, you know, the genetic uh, pool was much purer then. Because, see, DNA accumulates over time. Damage to DNA accumulates over time. And so when Adam and Eve were created, they were genetically pure. And Cain and Abel uh, married sisters. You know, Abraham married a half-sister. And, and back then, there were much less corruptions in the DNA leading to these recessive traits and birth defects. But after the law was given, God gave the law to Moses— and since the time of Leviticus, um, the intermarrying and the, uh, you know, the, the boundaries about sibling marriage, they've been in place and are to this very day. Amen. Well, Alex, uh, let me do, and I know we said we'd take turns, but let me do this one. This is one that came in over something that you and I were talking about earlier, and we was talking about theft, and we were talking about the Bible uh, gives us principles and and following things, but it doesn't necessarily always uh, answer a specific sin, and that was like identity theft. And Everett wrote in, and he said, I— he, he was gracious to us. He didn't say, you guys are wrong, although he could have. He said, there was an identity theft in the Bible. What about Jacob and Esau? That was pretty, uh, I thought Everett was on his mark when he shared that. Tell us that story about identity theft. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, hey, Everett, you're a very astute listener, and uh, we really give you the credit for thinking about that. You know, that's right. So I'm going to say there there was an identity theft in the Bible. There there wasn't there. But, you know, this is the story of Jacob and Esau, and goodness, Bert, is this like back about Genesis 26? It is. That's where it is, and, and what a story. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Isaac and Rebecca had... The first twins mentioned in the Bible, um, maybe the first twins mentioned in history. But here's the thing. Uh, Jacob uh, was a quiet man dwelling in tents, it said, and was his mother's favorite. Esau was a skillful hunter. You know, I've often thought that Esau must have a ruddy complexion. He'd been out in the sun and everything like that. So Esau gets back uh, from hunting, and he wanted some of the stew that Jacob was cooking, and Bert, this is Genesis 25. Jacob says, okay, I'll give you a helping of this stew in exchange for your birthright. Now, the birthright, you've got to understand what a very significant thing this was. And you're right, there was identity theft. Jacob is going to be the first one, and he flimflams Esau out of his birthright. And I, Everett, 
I give you an A for the day, my friend, because I suppose you're right. Identity theft is mentioned in the Bible. And then he did it with the blessing, not only the, the, that, that, but the blessing by putting wool on his, on his arm to fake uh, Isaac off when Isaac could not see. And <laughs> Jacob did a number on Esau. Now, I, you know, God used it. And he blessed Esau, uh, a Jacob. Esau was kind of a non-spiritual thinker at all. Although Jacob was a trickster, God had to work on him. But this was an identity theft, especially in the blessing, but not only robbing in the area uh, of the of the birthright. So Alex uh, Everett, I, I, we just want to say thank you, Everett. I, I love that, and I said I, I had mentioned it to you earlier, and I couldn't help but bring that up on the radio because we had this short period of time where we could talk about that and share that. So, Everett, so much. Thank you so much. Alex, well, don't have a lot of time, but you got the next question. We could set it up and yes, then answer well, it probably do. in the second segment. Um, let me just say this. Uh, Esau forfeited his birthright, didn't he? Now, somebody could steal your identity. Some people forfeit their identity. Yeah. And I think when a Christian, a professed Christian, uh, does things that are very ungodly, uh, it might not be somebody stole your credit card info or your identity, but you have forfeited your identity. So when we talk about preserving our true name, our true character, our reputation, our identity, let's make sure that that. We, for the glory of God, that we truly do guard our identity because we represent Jesus. Alex, that is so well said. And again, we are living in the age of what I call the identity crisis. Male, female, what are you? And uh, God has given that to you. Find your identity in Christ in in your gender. Find your identity in Christ in trusting Him. We'll be back with more of Fireway Friday. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. As we go, let us make disciples. As we go, let us tell the world Welcome back to Fireway Friday here on Exploring the Word. And we appreciate you listening today. This is a pre-recorded program, so we're taking... Uh, our questions from those that you have sent in at word at afr.net and others that Alex has received and uh, doing our best to give a solid biblical answer. Uh, that's what we used to say when we're live. We say biblical questions, and uh, ever so often uh, we get some that are otherwise, but we love the program Exploring the Word, so we try to stick to that. So, Alex, you've received some good questions as well, haven't you? Well, absolutely, and again, we surely do appreciate everybody listening, and we are so grateful for the ability to get on the radio and answer questions and look at what the Bible says. But, Bert, uh, I was sharing the gospel with a gentleman, talking to a, a man. He had just retired from a career in law enforcement and was telling him I appreciated that. We surely did appreciate his service as a policeman. And we were talking about uh, prayer. And um, I began to share the gospel, and he asked me, he said, how do you know the name of God? He, and, and I asked him if he had ever accepted Jesus. And he said, um, he said, I don't think anybody knows the name of God. And he said, I, as a policeman, I, I prayed often. 
He said, but um, God is he who is unnamed because nobody really knows the name of God. And, of course, I begin to share about Jesus Christ and how I believe God has revealed himself, and I, I believe we can know God. So the twofold part of my question is this. For one thing, this man acknowledged there's a God, but he maintained that we couldn't really know who that God is. And then if we say we do know who God is, how do we really know the name of Jesus, the name of God? Bert, how would you begin to share the gospel with somebody with these questions? Anytime I've ever done this, I've always... you. The whole idea is you make much of Jesus. You make a beeline for Jesus in your preaching, in your witnessing, in your teaching. You do that. But you can go back to the Old Testament. And I, I, I admit I would probably, with that one, start with Moses uh, at the burning bush. And he revealed himself to Moses. Now, Moses had already been brought up by his mom, Jochebed, who uh, gave birth to him, but he was supposed to die. But because of God's divine providence and guidance and wisdom of, of his mama, she got to raise him for the first few years of his life. And then he was in the, the house of Pharaoh. But then uh, at that time when he knew he was a Jew, he was driven out of Egypt and went to uh, the wilderness. And there at the burning bush at 80 years old, God revealed himself to him. I am that I am has sent thee. That's what Moses was saying. Who shall I say or what is the name of the one who is sending me? And God revealed himself to Moses at that time through that name and through that experience, and it was sufficient for him. And then he went to Egypt to demonstrate that this one who had called him from the burning bush had power over all the gods of Egypt, little G-O-D. Every one of those uh, plagues was an attack on an Egyptian god that they worshipped, Alex. And so I would start there and then make a beeline to Jesus. Well, amen. That's right. I, I think it's important you bring out that the plagues were an attack on those Egyptian false gods. Let me say this. Um, I've I've had emails from people, and they will spell God like capital G dash O D. Uh, so instead of G O D, that God, you know, G slash D, because people don't want to say the name of God. I want to be very clear. Do you know there is not a biblical prohibition against using God's name or calling God's name. Now, there's a prohibition against taking his name in vain, right? But, you know, God, to the man's question, the policeman, how do you know who God is? And he said, you know, God is the one who is unnamed. And I, I would respectfully disagree that God has revealed his name. Uh, in fact, in, in a number of ways, God has revealed himself. When people ask me, Bert, they'll say, why do you believe God exists? I'll say, because he's shown himself to the human race. You know, I believe God is real, not only because I have a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, but I believe God has revealed himself. And do you remember when um, the Lord appeared uh, in, in the burning bush to Moses, you know, in Exodus 3.14, he said, I am that I am. But uh, Exodus 6, verse 3 God said, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but my name is the Lord. Now, in the Hebrew, 
because Hebrew did not have vowels. It's Y-H-W-H, and we, we said it's Yahweh, Yahweh. Uh, and Exodus 3.14, what does that mean? Well, it means I am that I am. So somehow uh, the, the name Yahweh refers to God's eternality, his, his self-existence. He was never created. But you know what? There are a lot of um, names for God like, you know, uh, El Roi, the God who sees me, and El Shaddai, uh, you know, the eternal Lord. Bert, we know who God is because he's revealed himself, and that includes his name, I mean, the ultimate name, and we say of Jesus, Yeshua, Mashiach, uh, Jehovah saves, or Yahweh saves, uh, Yehovah, Jehovah is the more Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Yahweh. But Bert, I would say not only can we know the name of God, we can personally have a relationship with this God through Jesus. Amen. And that's the beautiful thing. I know this is a lot here, a lot to cover, but friend, the way that you know God, you don't have to know Hebrew and Greek, although we think, you know, it's it's helpful to dig down into the word. Look, you need to know that God took on a human body. He came to this earth. He righteous, perfect, sinless. He was qualified to be our Savior. He could be our sin bearer because he had no sin of his own. And he paid that sin debt that you and I owed, we couldn't pay, rose from the dead. We put our faith in Jesus. Not only, Bert, do we know about God, we have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? In the New Testament, it makes that plain. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And uh, at the name of Jesus, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, in that name, there's authority. That's the whole idea. Do you remember when Jacob was fighting with the angel and he asked the question, what is your name? You know, because when you have someone's name, it gives you not necessarily authority, but it gives you introduction to them. If you Mm -hmm. were in a crowd of of kids and, and there were a bunch of fathers there and one of the children said, hey, dad. You know, I, I got a feeling. 30 men look around. 30 men look around. <laughs> but if they say, hey, Bert Harper, guess what? Bert Harper turns around. And God has given his name to us so that we can call upon him and he hears us. Why? Because we come to him in his name, at the name of Jesus. And and so, and at the name of God the Father, again, Yahweh. Uh, There's so many of those that we have that God has revealed himself to us. Alex, here's a question. I think uh, that it's uh, Trisha writes in and says this, who are the people that are going to follow Satan to the battle of Armageddon and where did they come from? Is that clear enough? Yeah, great question. Okay. Uh, Well, you know, I I think it's going to be um, the army's, of the Antichrist, the the regime, the um, probably a like world police force, military force that's been uh, raised up to enforce the the directives of the Antichrist, and they'll be 
Bert, does my memory serve me? Isn't it like 200 million yes, soldiers? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Gather? And a large group of them from the east. That's what's amazing. And that's why China so many times is brought in because the largest populated country in the world is China, and they're building up their military. And and this, again, the, the signs of the times, they're everywhere. They've always been. Uh, we know we're closer to his second coming now than we've ever been. We know that. I don't. I don't like to assign dates or anything, but again, you see some things. And China having that large, huge uh, population, and they're trying to get the finances of the world lined up so they can do what I think, so they can have this military that'll be ready in that day, Alex. Well, just think, a huge segment of the world's population gathers and Bert when you've been to the Holy Land maybe you've been to the the Valley of Megiddo yes sometimes yes. called the Plains of Megiddo uh, it's been said for even a couple of hundred years ago that it, it's probably the most ideal place for a battle in the world I mean if you're gonna pick a an open plain and I mean it's like as far as you can see but you know they're not just there to fight off people that uh, disagree with the Antichrist. I mean, they don't. They may or may not know it, but they're gathered there to kill God. And yet, it says it just with the breath of His nostrils, this is a huge percentage of the human race that gathers there, the Valley of Megiddo, and they're vanquished just with with a sigh, almost. <laughs> Isn't that a, his breath? A sigh like his breath. Uh, yeah. Man breathed in to man. Life, you know, in here with that sigh or breath coming out, uh, the destruction of that army. Uh, that's the Alex. Does that reveal really the real power of God? Life oh my and yes. death. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, amazing how. Well, I was thinking of an illustration. I was watching a show over the weekend of a man that uh, was fishing, and he caught an alligator. Seriously, this was in the news. And suddenly his boat was getting pulled down the river by an alligator. And he said, uh, this this monster, you know, they were trying to reel it in, and then one second later they're frantically trying to get away from it. Because <laughs> he said, this this alligator was stronger than anything we had ever encountered. And I was thinking about what a surprise the strength of that creature. But let me say this. Stronger than anything is the power of eternal God. I mean, he holds the universe up. He sustains. Colossians 1.17 tells us that Christ is, is sustaining the universe. It is held in place by the word of his power. Um, he upholds it. God uh, has all the power. That's why. Scholars use the word omnipotent. Omni means all. Potency means power. God has all the power. And you know what? The biggest army, the most uh, evil, violent, demonic gathering, 200 million soldiers gather, and yet that might be the biggest thing the human race could ever muster, and it's nothing to God. Amen. Um, Amen. So God, God has all the power. But, Bert, uh, another question, and by the way, folks, if you want to send a question in, you can submit those word at AFR.net. Might become part of a future show, might become part of our second volume. Uh, we're doing a, a second 100 questions book, and so we would like to hear from you on those. But here's a question. What does the Bible say about Christian tithing? 
Should a Christian tithe? And why does God need us to give? Oh, me. Alex, when I hear that, why does he need us to give? I I, I want to say he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he, he, I, amen. I was gonna, he, he really doesn't, does he? he? I, that's the first response I have. He does not. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. I mean, he owns it all. And listen, we have the privilege of joining him in the greatest work in all the world. That's it. The greatest work in all the world is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, part of AFA, AFR's mission statement is to aid the church in carrying out the Great Commission here in America and in foreign countries. We are that, and that's the greatest privilege we have. And so why should I tithe or give more? Because I am I have been permitted by God to become his child and to join him in in growing and letting others know the good news of Jesus Christ. If I only look at it as something that, man, I got to do, you're missing out on the joy. Uh, God loves a hilarious giver, and that hilarity or that joy comes out of seeing the vision that God's given for us to join him, doesn't it, Alex? Amen. And, you know, it might sound counterintuitive, but tithing is not a financial issue, primarily. I, I, I've heard it said, and I, and I agree, that, that giving and the way we handle money is a spiritual issue. It's more of a spiritual issue than a financial issue, isn't it? It is. And I, I've heard preachers, you know, believe it or not, before Alex and I started preaching, we heard a lot of preachers, okay? And I still I love to I hear still preaching. do, too. I, I did Sunday. I got to hear a great message. I I was not at Auburn. I got to go to Ingemar Baptist Church, and my my good brother in Christ, Tommy Vinson, was preaching, and, man, he fed my soul. But let me just share this. Uh, you know, I used to hear preachers say there's a divine connection between your heart and your pocketbook. And uh, I, I believe that's true, Alex. Well, I was going to say I heard some good preaching last Wednesday night. Uh, I went to Auburn Baptist and heard, heard a good preacher last Wednesday <laughs> night. But but you know what? Um, and this is not original with me, but I've heard preachers say if you've given Christ your heart, you need to also give him your pocketbook. And again, it's a trust issue. Um, I don't mean to get us off topic, but see, God says uh, bring into the storehouse your tithes and offerings now the gospel is free sure the the gospel is free it does take resources to deliver that free message and as you trust god in your finances he will bless you and he'll increase you i've seen it many times but what a privilege to be a part of what god's up to find out where god's working and join him We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire We've all run to things we know just ain't right And there's a better life There's a better life You got paid If ever there was a time that our nation and our world need the truth of God's Word, this is now. And so this is Exploring the Word, Bert Harper and I endeavoring to set forth God's truth, not just 
a man's opinion, but God's timeless truth. And so, Bert, what a joy it is. Folks, this is a pre-recorded show, so we can't take calls today, but you may email us. We would love to hear from you via email, word at AFR.net. We'll be live again uh, soon, but your questions become part of uh, the future show, may even find their way into the, our next questions book. Uh, but Bert, you've got another question there uh, in front of you, I believe. I do. Myra writes, and let me try to put it as best I can. I, I was making sure I understood a question. I think I do. In the Old Testament, why isn't the devil presented as the enemy of the people? In other words, the devil himself, rather than just the human beings representing the enemy. And then she adds, while in the New Testament, the devil was introduced and warned about. Now, again, you and I just mentioned this a little bit. I I believe, uh, Myra, you do find the devil presented in the the Old Testament again. uh, Are you looking for that name? Well, that may, if that's the case, we might need to go and ask, ask that answer that question, Alex. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly, um, the devil is the enemy of our souls, and and I think you know throughout throughout Scripture, um, I got to tell you, even in the book of Genesis, you know, back um, in Genesis three, where it says the serpent was craftier, and the Bert, when I was a child, that it gave me the creeps to think of a talking snake there. And there was just something innately, intuitively in in my little uh, childhood soul that I knew Satan was, as as my mother said, Satan is the bad man. And so, you know, you, you see throughout the scriptures, I mean, in the book of Job, uh, Satan comes to accuse Job. You read in Isaiah 14 about how he really tried to overthrow heaven. And, of course, Jesus says that Lucifer, this high created angel was cast out of heaven like a bolt of lightning. So, you know, it's interesting that uh, in all cultures throughout history, there's this idea of angels and demons. There are good angels, there are bad angels, and yes, all cultures from the ancient world uh, have this idea of the worst of the worst, the most evil of all the demons, Satan himself. And, you know, I, I know this sounds simplistic, it's a big 21st century world with international communications, Wi-Fi. We think reality has gotten complicated. Bert, I would submit to you, reality is still pretty simple. There's God, and there's truth, there's light, and there's darkness. There's good, and there's evil. There's salvation and lostness. And for a moment, uh, Bert, I, I just think amidst the, the noise of the world, there's so much media, so many products, we're bombarded with advertisements and marketing. But truth is pretty simple. And Jesus said this, he said, you're either for me or you're against me. Uh, Isn't that pretty simple truth? It is. And again, truth, absolute truth, and this is so important, absolute truth is it's true anywhere, anytime, in any place. Uh, time will not change that truth. The location doesn't change that truth. You know, it is true no matter where, when, or how. And so if you know, and the Bible makes it plain, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
and sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so the word of God is quick and powerful and sure. It is more powerful than you could ever believe. And honestly, Alex, whether a person believes the the Bible is the word of God or not doesn't change or keep it from being the word of God. God says, I will send forth my word and, and God's word. So uh, sometimes when you're talking to someone that you know is anti-Bible, uh, use the scripture, but don't necessarily tell them that it's John 3.16. Don't necessarily tell them that it's Philippians 1.6. Uh, just use the word. God didn't say uh, the location of my word will not return unto me void. It says my word will not return unto me void. Now, when you're teaching God's people or when you're teaching a group of people who are seekers, then you say, hey, you find this over here in the book of Genesis. You find this in Ezekiel. But when you're in, in talking to someone that, and again, I'm not talking about debating, but you're trying to win them, but you know they're not sold on the Bible being the Bible, the Word of God, will it still will work, Alex. That's, yeah, it, it's that's, very self-authenticated. It is. It really is. It is. Forgive me for interrupting. No, you know, but, I was but, ready but, for you, man. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. I mean, and listen, I love to talk about the manuscripts and history and archaeology, and then we've got the testimony of Christ and fulfilled prophecy by a number of compelling lines of evidence from a number of vantage points. I think the Bible is very defensible as being, you know, trustworthy in its content, divinely preserved, but also of supernatural origin. I mean, those three things, when you're talking about the Bible, for one thing, there is the content. And we have this question, is what we have what was originally written? And the word is absolutely yes. The answer is yes. So it is trustworthy in in its content. What you have in the Bible is what God gave Moses, the prophets, the apostles. So it is uh, miraculously trustworthy, miraculously preserved, but it it was of supernatural origin. So I I think there's a lot we can say about the um, supernatural inerrancy of Scripture, but just reading Scripture. You remember J. Vernon McGee? Oh, yes. Somebody asked (laughs) McGee, um, how can I defend the Bible? And J. Vernon McGee said, well, you defend the Bible uh, the same way you defend a lion. You just open the cage and let it out. (laughs) Amen. And that is the Word (laughs) of God, folks. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is what we need, and we need to proclaim it. And if you're a pastor— a Sunday school teacher, a chaplain in, in, in the hospital, or or in the uh, in any kind of of men, uh, penitentiary or jail or anywhere incarceration where people are, the word of God is sure, and uh, it has a word for our day. It is for our day, and so you can depend on it. Alex, let me see, sixty six books. Is it forty authors at least? Forty authors mm-hmm, in, out of mm-hmm. that. And they agree, and they're written over a period of over 2,000 years. And and you and I love the Andy Griffith show. Uh, you know, you and I, every, 
about every week we say something about that show, and we yeah. like it. And uh, But there are so many inconsistencies in it, and it lasted eight years or eight or nine years. And uh, and you hear the cons- inconsistent, Barney can sing, Barney can't sing, Barney has a car, Barney didn't have a car. Uh, you know, all those things that are to make the show, you know, funny and viable, yes. but they're inconsistencies in the Bible. You don't find any. And it's 66 books written by 40 different authors at different times. Really over a 1,500-year period. Yes. And it's 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 amazing what we have in the Bible. It is the treasure. You know, it says in Second Corinthians 4, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ being us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I would say also we have the treasure written to us that reveals God to us in his word. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, you know, two more questions if we have time. Um, One, somebody wrote in over the weekend because as we, um, not too long ago, we were going through the book of Galatians. And in Galatians 5, there's just this wonderful list of some of the attributes of a person uh, yielded to Christ and love and joy and peace and patience. So somebody emailed me, a listener, and said, you know, how do you and Bert stay calm? And said, I listen to your show, and you, you, you don't seem to get, um, you know, agitated. Now, I don't want to talk about myself, um, but this person said they had watched some debates on YouTube, and, you know, there, there are some debates that I did out there with atheists, and sometimes at college campuses people can get just very um, blasphemous almost, really. And the person said... Um, you and Bert don't get angry with callers, and we've never seen you, you know, lose your cool or whatever. Well, I'm, it's it's the Holy Spirit, but um, I do think you and I, we both seem to be, you know, pretty much joyful at peace, and it's from Jesus. But I'm ask, I'm setting this up to ask you, Bert, um, whether it's somebody who's got a, an honest question, or it's somebody else who's actively you know, pushing back against the message of God. I mean, how do you, Bert, you you do seem to be just as stable as the rock of Gibraltar. Is, is that just how you've always been? Or <laughs> how did you get this peace and stability, Bert? The answer is no, I haven't always been this way. But I, I wouldn't say I'm calm. I'm kind of, I get excited about Jesus. I when I preach, I sure. I, I kinda of, but when it comes to dealing with individuals, is it is the Holy Spirit in me. Uh this past weekend that we're recording this now, this previous weekend, we had a death in our family and so oh, some of us were gathered together, uh my brother and my sister that's older than me and my son and some nephew, nephews and nieces, and we were talking. And, uh, you know, when that happens to the Harpers, we just talk about the old stories. And some of those stories about Bert and not being, you know, that gentle or that calm, they're real. But at 12 years old, I, I just want to give a testimony. At 12 years old, God completely changed my life. You say, how in the world does God change a 12-year-old boy's life? I was fearful. Uh, I, I was volatile. I could get angry and try do things that I knew I didn't need to do, but I'd do them anyway. And God came into my life as a 12-year-old boy on a Tuesday night. 
I, I surrendered my life to him, and I said, Lord, I'm yours with what I have and what I will have. It's yours from now and for now on. And God changed my life that night, Alex. He really did. And uh, I haven't. I, I heard somebody say the problem with a lot of Christians, they gotten saved and gotten over it. Don't get over mm. it. Man, yeah. I'm amazed at God at what he's doing and what he has done. We'll, we will have studied the book of 1 Corinthians uh, when this is aired on Exploring the Word. And isn't it amazing? He says he's chosen the foolish, the weak things to confound the strong and the wise. And I think that's it. He does a work in a person's life in an unusual way that just brings glory to God. And God is the one that ought to get the glory. And as you said earlier, Brother, we better give him that glory. We better not take it on ourselves, had we? Exactly. And, you know, Bert, when, I, when I've had lost people kind of um, have a meltdown, and whether, you know, we'll be talking about an issue, whether it be abortion or homosexuality or gender, uh, and, you know, the political landscape. For one thing, like you always say, keep it on Jesus. Just gently but consistently try to steer the conversation back up to Christ. Uh, but the other thing is, Bert, my, my heart goes out to people because I know when people, they're, they're vehemently angry, and this does lead into my next question that I've got, but the reason people can, can be uh, everything from just rude, disrespectful to outright blasphemous is because they're lost. You know, if somebody was sick with a bad, you know, disease, I mean, we would have compassion because they were, you know, uh, had a terminal illness or whatever. Well, sin is like that. Sin is bondage. Sin is blindness. If sin isn't dealt with, it's it's death and lostness. And Bert, uh, listen, I love a good spirited debate, and I've spent hours talking to Everybody from evolutionists to Muslims, atheists, and everybody, because I was unsaved at one time. You know, I was lost, and I guess um, I, I feel like we we should be long suffering and patient because these people are bound and blind and dying in their sin. And one thing, let me add, this has helped me more than well, not more than anything, but a lot separate the agenda from the person. Amen. Like Amen. the, uh, the hom- I call it the homosexual agenda and all the alphabet soup that goes with that. The agenda is evil. The agenda is anti-God and anti-Christ. But individuals, even those that are blatant, but many of those who have just been hurt and they have looked for acceptance, and they've gone the way of homosexuality or a, a gender identity change to, to relieve the pain that they—and I've talked to them, and they, those, those are real with many of them. We need to have yeah. compassion, and that yes. helps me to separate the agenda from the individual, Alex. It really does. Amen. Well, uh, finally, and I want to talk about this, Bert. We got about um, a minute, so we'll have to hurry. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit in our land. Somebody asked me the question: How can we? How can we rein in a lot of the unbelief? We can't 
but the Holy Spirit Amen. can. We need the Spirit of God to sweep across our nation. Amen. And it starts in your circle. Gypsy Smith, the evangelist Gypsy Smith said, draw a circle, get in that circle and say, Lord, let this revival begin in me. Let that revival begin in your heart and let God change your heart. You've been listening to Far Away Friday here on Exploring the Word. It's been our joy to get those questions from word at AFR.net. You can send more questions in. But until then, we're praying that God would guide you and bless you and you would trust him with all your life. And in the meantime, tell someone about Exploring the Word. But more importantly, make sure and tell them about Jesus. Jesus.